We'd like to welcome you back to part four of our current event and weekly Bible study for July 21st, 2013. Uh, I had to reset my recorder. I was just about out of time, so um, <clears throat> looking at a really long study today. Uh, this is a video, and I'm only going to play a couple minutes of this, and it's entitled The Most Stunning Development in Silver. Now, I know this is off track, um, but I, I thought this was kind of noteworthy regarding what's going on with the uh, precious metal industry right now. Just something to give a little bit of time to. So I'm just going to roll this video, and they're going to explain some things regarding uh, silver, because as you've known, the, the price of silver's kind of bottomed out compared to what it was, and um, I think a lot of that's been by design to discourage a lot of people. And this kind of gets into specifically talking about silver, so I'm going to let this go. According to this article of the Business Standard, India imported an estimated 250 tons each month, January, February, and March of this year, despite the collapse of the price of silver. But in April, they imported 720 tons of silver. But even more stunning than that, they imported more in April than they did the first three months of this year. But even more stunning than that, in May, the number even accelerated even further to 920 tons of silver or nearly half of the entire world's production that month. So while the rest of the world is focused on the massive demand that China is bringing into gold, most of the gold that's ever been mined is still in bullion form. But the fact that silver's stockpiles have been destroyed, so much so that the United States Geological Survey has estimated that by 2020, silver will become the first element on the periodic chart to become extinct, unless there is a massive change in price that would, that would bring on more production. Did you hear that? The U.S. Geographical or Geological Study said it's going to be the first element on the periodic table by 2020 to be extinct. Now, I know 2020 is a long time off, but because it's being consumed in industry at such a high rate, that is the future for silver. ...or the wiser use of the stockpiles there. So when you see India making huge moves into this, this is amazing. To put this recent Indian demand into perspective... Over the past two months of April and May, India imported 1,640 tons of silver. That's the equivalent of 52 million ounces of silver. Those two months of sales are double the first six months of sale of the record-setting pace of the Silver Eagle production of the U.S. Mint, that for the first six months of this year have sold 24 million ounces of silver. This is stunning, especially considering the amount of wealth that's flowing over to Asia and how their move into silver is going to destroy the current gold-to-silver ratio of 1 to 65. More dollars are flowing into silver on a relative basis than the exchange ratio will be able to maintain for very long. This screams... So, in other words, the, we should see some massive price move on silver at some future, most likely short date. Um... The, this whole the, the whole exchange rate is so out of whack compared to what it should be. I believe it should be a 1 to 16 ratio on the price of gold. And they're saying it's like 1 to 65. It's not even remotely realistic. But when the Rothschilds and these types of people are, are in charge of deciding this price, this is what they try to do is manipulate these prices. Now, another little article <clears throat> that's entitled People Want Physical Gold and Silver in Their Hands. This is by Greg Hunter... USAWatchdog.com. He said, Hard assets expect Tom Cloud has 
card asset expert, Tom Cloud, has spotted a clear trend with the lion's share of his 2,000 high net worth clients. Cloud says, I had a client the other day who liquidated a several million dollar position in the ETF uh, because he said it was time to put gold and silver in my hand. People, the wealthier they are, want to get physical gold and silver in their hands, meaning not on paper, because if it's in paper, it's not worth the paper it's printed on, most likely. Cloud is far from alone in this observation. Cloud reports, I was talking to a major wholesaler last week when the price was going down, and he asked, how many orders have you had today? Now, this is when the price was going down. He said, I had 560 orders. I asked, how many orders have you sold? He said only 20. So, um, <clears throat> meaning, you know, he's got a ton of orders, you know, coming into him to buy this at, at low prices. Cloud says delivery time for gold and silver bullion are unusually long. When supplies of precious metals are plentiful, Cloud says it would be in my hand in three to five days. Now, depending on the product, it's two to two to two and a half to six weeks. Cloud says, the only other time supply has been this tight was in 1980 and 2008. Cloud contends, supplies are tight and fear is high. I see it getting worse. So, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there um, regarding, you know, silver and gold a little bit on the precious metals. Next report. Uh, This is entitled, this is a listener comment, and uh, it's regarding my daughter's horrific transgendered Camp experience. This will really warm the cockles of your heart when you hear this one. This is a listener. She said, Dr. Johnson, my 13-year-old daughter is mildly autistic. She attended a Dragonfly Forest Camp this week for children. This is a free, federally funded camp that she attended for the first time this year. When we signed her into the camp, we saw a masculine-looking boy dressed in pink, in, in a pink girly clothing who was also an attendee. His parents lied on the application and stated he was female. What a bunch of maggots. I don't know what else word to use, but turns out that he had male plumbing. Hmm. And he was allowed to sleep in the girls' room, in the girls' uh, you know, little camp room, and share their bathroom, since all the beds were taken in the boys' unit. He also showed his genitals to the girls that he was sleeping with. Yeah, this is the this is the day and age we've come to when this kind of of just beyond perverse, disgusting garbage just becomes the norm, and and you know we're just supposed to shut up and not really say anything about it. My daughter's mind was blown to say the least. Why am I telling you? Camp should be out of the question to every Christian parent everywhere. It's simply not worth it. And oh, I am personally going back to complain. Not that there will be any recourse of action, particularly if it's federally funded. Uh, anything like that, <laughs> I mean, you're just basically going into the belly of the beast, most likely, anything federally funded like that. It's like public schools, you know. Um, then I, I emailed her and asked her if I could reprint this, and she said, yeah, and then she said more, where she said, I also admitted to tell you there were five beds in each cabin. Four were for the children, and one was supposed to be for the camp counselor since bed assignments were previously made up before the children's arrival, there was no room in the boys' cabins because they lied. They got him in. Anyway, this was because the parents lied about the gender on the application and the camp was expecting a girl. They oddly gave the transvestite in training the counselor's bed 
and supplied no overnight supervision in that specific cabin where my daughter was for five days. So every cabin is supposed to have a camp counselor. No, 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 not this one. We're going to put the transgender little devil boy in there with the girls and with no adult supervision. I mean, of all the cabins, that is the one that should have had adult supervision. Conveniently enough, he had a grand time showing every young lady there his private parts. I asked my daughter what kind of swimsuit he brought to camp. She told me boys' trunks, so he arrived in pink and pigtails, but quickly reverted back to his natural gender sometime during the week. Keep in mind that these children are screened by a nurse and an MD upon arrival. They do a med check, general health evaluation, and check for head lice. There's no way that those, quote, professionals thought that he was a girl as he had a square jawline. They chose to say and do nothing. This new rising transsexual thing is why camp is out for every Christian period. So, yeah, this is the brave new world we're, we're coming into, where this kind of just debauched evil disgusting behavior becomes the norm and is protected and encouraged. Now, I found, it is a uh, um, segue into this, I found this article this weekend entitled, Hell Arrives, Camp Designed to Indoctrinate Little Boys into Homosexuality. And here we see a, uh, I don't know, about a seven or eight year old boy dressed in drag in a pink dress with a little pink purse and uh, a little... uh, hair bow thing, and the caption that says, could anything, could anything possible, could anything possibly be more awful than this? And he's walking down this catwalk where there's like glittery stuff and there's, there's all these little candles and all of these adoring parents and camp counselors, they're cheering him on and clapping as he comes in his little transvestite outfit and everybody's cheering them on. I mean, this is so unbelievably disgusting and debased. I don't even know hardly where to begin. It says, David Rosenberg at Slate Magazine has written a glowing review of a boys' camp designed to brainwash prepubescent children into, homo- into the homosexual lifestyle, really transgender, more than anything, and the sickening woman who takes the homopedophilic pictures of it. From the article entitled, A Boys' Camp to Redefine Gender, Over the past three years, photographer Lindsay Morris has been documenting a four-day camp for gender non-conforming boys and their parents. The camp, entitled You Are, You Are You, actually the name's been changed to protect the privacy of the children, but this camp is is for parents who don't have a gender-confirming three-year-old who wants to wear high heels and prefers to go down the pink aisle in Kmart and not that nasty dark boy boys aisle, Morris said with a laugh, this witch that's taking these pictures of this camp. It is also a place for both parents and children to feel protected in an environment that encourages free expression. These kids don't have to look over their shoulders and they can let down their guard. Those are four days where none of that matters. They're surrounded by family members who support them. Isn't this special? Isn't Satan so wonderfully happy over this whole thing? I'm sure he is. Morris has stated that her photographic goal for the project is, quote, to represent the spirit of these boys as they shine. End of quote. Some of the ways in which the kids shine is through the talent and fashion shows at camp that are popular and for 
which the campers come well prepared. Some practice for the talent show all year, and others create their own gowns with their mothers and friends and family, Moore said. The focus and enthusiasm is really pretty incredible. Also, it can be very emotional for the parents, these debauched, evil, sick, disgusting parents. It can be very emotional for them, especially the families who are new to the camp and are experiencing this kind of group acceptance for the very first time. If, the truly, if they truly are expressing transgenderism, it's almost always this would be a result of sexual abuse as the parents are encouraging and endorsing the idea of turning their boys into demon-possessed lunatic wrecks. It's most likely that they are responsible for this very sexual abuse. Yeah, you better believe it. And that's a proven statistical fact. So there's a very, very high likelihood a large percentage of these parents that are supposedly cheering them on have also exposed them to all manner of sexual abuse. And this is why... Uh, these boys are so messed up in the head where they, where they would start doing this garbage. Purposely destroying a child in this way, utterly crushing their souls is the worst possible form of child abuse I can imagine. The, the pictures that Morse, this Morse person took of these kids show that they are being purposely sexualized as well in the way that they do to little girls at these John Benet Ramsey style pedophile pageants, proving that the whole thing is entirely pedophilic in nature. This is true. This is what Satan is trying to bring us to. This pedophilic, defiled um, society where this type of stuff is protected, guarded, and encouraged. Here we have... Yes, it's so disgusting that I, I can't even hardly relay this. I, I, the pictures are in the PDF. Um, here we see um, a little boy dressed up in a flaming red wig with a long dress. Uh, this is just... Uh, this is really... <laughs> be angry and sin not. It's probably one of the hardest things to do in today's day and age. Uh, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, though. The Bible says that's very clear on this. And, and this is so... Um, I can hardly look at these pictures... It shows us one, I mean, some of these boys really do look like little girls. I mean, they've really gone the gamut here. And they're just act. they're in these little skirts and flowery tops, and they're all acting like little girls. I mean, some of these pictures, you can't even tell that they're boys. Um, here's one of them, and uh, you'd have to see it. It's, it's, it's just beyond disgusting, these pictures. How could anything be more vile than this? Where is the outrage? How can you look at these images and not feel deeply rooted primal drive to annihilate the satanic creatures who are doing this? Well, that's the guy writing the article. I'm not saying that that's the route we should go. But I can, I can relate to what he's saying, though, because, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than this. Defiling little children, Jesus Christ said, you know, it's better that a millstone were hung about their neck and they cast be cast in the midst of the sea, then they defend, then they offend one of these little ones that believeth on me. I mean, these parents are just uh, going out of the way to totally defile and ruin these children at the youngest possible age, which is what evil people do. So, um, he goes on to say, when is enough enough? Evil forces are trying their very hardest to maximize the number of homosexuals in our society in order to break down the social fabric to an even greater extent than they already have. Uh, it says, may God have mercy on us all. And then I put in the Bible quote, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these things the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. And this is why Satan, it's so important for Satan to do this. 
to create this type of society. Because the land is defiled, therefore do I visit the iniquity thereof upon it. This All that sin is going to come back on that land, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. And that's what the future of America holds. And particularly as this thing, this garbage gets worse and worse. Uh, so we have that. Now, um, let's see here. I'm just going to segue right into my health corner now. I had a question from a listener named Todd, and it's a natural remedy request for hiatal hernia. He says, Dr. Johnson, the wife of my of one of my co-workers has the following ailments. Do you have any recommendations other than the liver cleanse you discussed in a recent study? Would your mild silver protein help the hiatal hernia? Her main ailments are hiatal hernia, uh, duod- duodenitis, and above normal liver enzyme levels. She was at a level of 50 and normal is 30. She has cut out coffee and other caffeine. We started her on probiotics once every day or two. God bless. So my response, no, the silver would not help a hiatal hernia. Um, <clears throat> the only time it might help the that, I guess, if somebody had a stomach ulcer, which is actually most of the time caused by a organism called Helicobacter pylori, or HP, the silver will eradicate that. It's the best thing you can do. But it won't rebuild the lining of the stomach. But yes, it would be the best thing for Helicobacter pylori that I know of, the mild silver protein, um, if you had been diagnosed that. But you would want to rebuild the lining of the stomach. The best product I know of is okra pepsin by standard process. Or if you ate a lot of okra, the slimy mucolaginous substance in okra actually helps to rebuild the linings of the uh, like the intestinal tract, the villa, the lining of the stomach, and these types of things. So it's very good for that as well. Um, also, manuka honey is also good for eradicating the uh, Helicobacter pylori organism that causes one of the main things that causes stomach ulcers. Um, that stuff's super expensive, that Manuka honey. The only place you can get it from is uh, New Zealand. I saw it in the health food store the other day, and I could not believe how expensive it was. Not saying the silver, the 5,000 parts, not even more expensive, but I'm just saying the quantity of honey you might have to do, um, I don't know how much you'd have to take, but I, I know that as also a remedy. So I say the silver will not help with a hiatal hernia, though, per se, hiatal hernia help is usually threefold. I've gotten this question a lot through the years. How do you help hiatal hernias? Okay. Number one, correct the internal cause of the hiatal hernia. Now, I'm going to, and I said, see my newsletter below on acid reflux. Okay. So we're going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that quite yet, but we will read that next. Um, cause that's, that's a long response. Number two, get the mid to upper, get your mid to upper back adjusted. By a chiropractor, okay? Um, Now, there's a video that I posted here um, on this, and I'll get into that in a second. But the reason you'd want to get your mid to upper back adjusted is this is the nerve supply to the area where the hiatal hernia exists. has a lot to do with the diaphragm. You have the esophagus going down through the diaphragm, and then the esophagus turns into the stomach. Okay, when a hiatal hernia, the stomach keeps spasming, going up through that hole in the diaphragm, and there's a little valve there called the cardiac sphincter, 
that ends up getting stuck open because of the spasming process, and it allows this reflux to go up into the esophagus, which causes heartburn. Okay, that's what a hiatal hernia is essentially. So, if you get the nerve supply that feeds that area of the diaphragm and the esophagus and the stomach adjusted, which is your basically really more upper back, but kind of mid to upper back. If you get that area adjusted, it would be like going to your fuse box and turning that back on. Let's say let's say the nerves, the the power flow to those organs or that area was off. Getting a chiropractic adjustment is like turning that back on again. That's what chiropractic is. It's taking a hard bone off a soft nerve. If you don't know, I, I am a chiropractor. I'm just not in practice anymore because I'm devoted full time to the ministry now. So, but I was a chiropractor. I've been a chiropractor for like 20 years. You know, as of this year, yeah, I think so. 20 years, yeah. So I've, I've been one for a long time. Practiced in Florida for like 17 years. So um, uh, anyway, that would be the number two thing. Number three, if you can find a chiropractor who can adjust the hiatal hernia like this, and I give you a video of that, of a chiropractor doing it, or you can try it yourself. See the hiatal hernia self-adjustment. I've done this on myself before, and it, and it does work as well. So you could do that as well. Um, now, again, no. You can, get the, you can get the upper back adjustment. You can do it on yourself. But if you haven't corrected the internal, most likely nutritional cause, let's say it's acid reflux causing it, then it will, it will keep recurring. Even if you get the upper back adjusted, even if you pull down the hiatal hernia, it's going to keep reoccurring. And most likely, it's the nutritional thing that will be the actual source of what you have to address. Now, I'm going to get into this more. I'm going to read my newsletter here real quick, some of it. But he asked some other questions. Now, my response was, for elevated liver enzymes, I would actually recommend a two-month liver and intestinal detox as opposed to just the short liver cleanse that I've, I've proposed in times past. The reason is you just cannot correct a problem like elevated liver enzymes in a matter of a short cleanse, typically. It, it, Rome wasn't built in a day. And yeah, that short cleanse I've listed is fine and it's great and you will expel a ton of gallstones. But you have to understand, if you had a fatty liver, if you had elevated liver enzymes, it's going to take a little while. Okay, If it took you a lifetime to get to where you're at now, it's going to take a while for nutrition to work. So my, if you have an elevated liver enzyme case... And most likely you're going to have a fatty liver because most people do. Here's what I would recommend. Uh, Liviplex by standard process, six a day. Choline by standard process, which is the thing you take before uh, a gallbladder flush anyway, six a day. That defats the liver and dissolves gallstones. The Liviplex uh, is a broad-spectrum liver gallbladder detoxification. It's, it's got like five different products in one capsule five different standard process products in one capsule for addressing all facets of liver detoxification. The choline is a whole other separate animal, and that defats the liver and dissolves gallstones. And then I would also recommend Spanish black radish by standard process, six a day for two months. That's a very, very good um, intestinal, liver, uh, just detoxifier of the body. It's very, very good. So that would be what I would recommend in an ideal world. Um, those are professional lines that I carry, but um, that that's the product line I know. So, from my newsletter, um, 
Dr. Johnson's Healthy Living Newsletter, Acid Reflux, Heartburn, and Indigestion. I'm just going to read some of this newsletter so you can kind of understand what would actually lead up to or possibly end up creating a hiatal hernia. In this issue, I will attempt to address a topic that has received a lot of press. Uh, Americans in particular are plagued with gastrointestinal problems. Just turn on the television and witness the numerous commercials dealing with the subject. When it comes to the dealing with this problem, what I'm going to say is going to sound unorthodox. But consider this. If the drug and the, if the drug and antacid companies were right, the conditions of acid reflux, heartburn, and indigestion should obviously cease by taking the prescription and over-counter drugs, meaning it should fix the cause, it should correct it, it should cure it, right? But it doesn't. It's just a big band-aid, okay? This is not the case as these products have to be taken ongoing, usually in ever-increasing quantities to get the same result. Why is this, you say? It's because the drug approach does not correct the cause of the acid reflux, heartburn, or indigestion. It only treats the symptoms. And that's all by design, keep you hooked on the drug. One thing I have noted about the pharmaceutical commercials that deal with acid reflux is labeling this condition as a, quote, disease. Uh, if you pardon me, I'm, I'm like, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm doing this. I got a late start on today because I didn't have all my teaching done. and um, I'm starting to lose altitude a little bit. Anyway, so this condition is a disease. They're always saying this is a disease you have. Like, you know, you contracted berry, or, or not berry, berry, because that's a, that's a uh, total nutritional deficiency. But it's like you got Ebola or something. Some disease process. Some, like, mad cow disease where you got this prion in the brain or something that's eating your brain away. It's not a disease. But that's what they want to paint it as, because if you have a disease, then you think, oh, what can I do? I mean, you, you've got to go the pharmaceutical route. So you see these companies want you to believe that you have a disease. This term is used to discourage you from ever thinking you can overcome this condition. After all, diseases are something Americans are taught by the mainstream medical establishment that they just have to live with and just treat symptomatically. Contrary to what orthodox medicine teaches us, acid reflux, heartburn, and indigestion can actually be caused by insufficient hydrochloric acid production um, in the stomach. This might sound like a contradiction, but it's not. The stomach needs hydrochloric acid, or HCL, to digest food properly. Particularly, it needs it to digest protein. You cannot digest protein without hydrochloric acid, which is the main thing the stomach produces. You also have to have it to digest calcium, zinc, iron, and other things. When this stomach becomes deficient in HCL, the result is putrefaction, or rotting of the food. This produces the organic acids of putrefaction, which in turn then causes acid reflux, heartburn, and indigestion. In other words, heartburn and acid reflux are often caused by too little good acid in the stomach, not too much. Because That's because the low good acid in the stomach causes the valve at the base of the esophagus to relax and allow upward passage of what is in the stomachs. This is acid reflux. And this is also associated with hiatal hernia. Okay, so if you have too low acid production, you create the acids of putrefaction. So the antacids will still work, but they're, they're only neutralizing these bad acids and creating an even worse environment in the stomach for digestion. It's literally creating an alkaline gut. Your stomach is not designed to operate that, and I'm going to get into that in a second. Anyway... 
Um, so taking Tums and Rolaids and all these antacids are one of the most insane things you can possibly do to your body. It is. Flat out. Reason being is that, think about it. You know how the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, this is the foundation of where health is derived from. What you put in your body. First place digestion starts taking place is the mouth. Through the enzyme like petiolin and these types of things. It starts breaking down some of the carbs. Things like this. Through mastication, through chewing. Then you swallow. But the first main place where digestion really gets ramped up is the stomach. The food undergoes an acid bath. The hydrochloric acid. Okay? If you don't have an acid gut, you're not going to digest proteins. You're not going to digest calcium, zinc, iron. You're not going to be able to absorb those things. You're also creating an environment where um, parasite eggs, which if you're eating like lettuce and stuff like this, you're going to be exposed to parasites. And this is the main place where parasites are killed is an acidic gut. If you don't do that, you're going to set yourself up for parasite infestation as well. Not only are you going to not digest proteins and these other minerals that I mentioned, but you're going to set yourself up for parasite infestation. Those eggs will pass undigested, undigested into the duodenum, into the small intestine where they will implant. Because in the duodenum, you go to more of, a, of an alkaline pH, and in the intestinal tract, you're, you're not at a real hyperalkaline or acidic state. So the so the eggs can implant, they've already they've had they haven't had to worry about the whole acid bath of the stomach where they'll normally be digested because the outside layer of the parasite eggs is made up of a protein based shell. Normally if you have enough hydrochloric acid it's going to dissolve the protein based shell and the parasites are, are digested. Okay? If you create an a, a an alkaline gut through an acids or if you don't have enough of the good acid in your stomach you're going to uh, get loaded with parasites. So that's a whole other uh, animal to deal with as well. Now, higher levels of the good acid cause the valve to stay closed and prevent upward flow of the stomach contents. So if you have enough hydrochloric acid, generally speaking, you're not going to have acid reflux because that, that valve stays closed like it should. But if it's too alkaline, that valve, the cardiac sphincter, starts to open allows acid reflux into the esophagus and causes heartburn, which then a lot of times causes the stomach to spasm, thus causing a hiatal hernia. I know this is a lot to lay on somebody if they're wondering about this, but this is what's actually going on. You're, M- you're never going to hear what I'm saying from an MD, ever. Okay, They're not taught this. They're not taught this type of stuff. They're taught, give this drug, you know, basically when you have these types of symptoms. And the drug's making things worse. So, um, so higher levels of good acid cause the valve, in this case the cardiac sphincter, to stay closed and prevent the upward flow. And acids, such a upward flow of the, um, of the good acids. Now, in acids, such as Tums, are effective in alleviating these symptoms because they neutralize these, inor- these organic acids of putrefaction. Okay. However, they only aggravate the underlying problem by increasing the alkalinity of the gut, of the stomach. The stomach was not made to function in an alkaline environment. It was made to function in an extremely acid environment, in the 2 to 3 pH range, okay? which is enough to literally dissolve nails. If you were to put, like, if you were to take your stomach acid and put a nail in there, that thing would be gone within a certain amount of time. But that's the way God created your stomach to operate at that pH range. 
Um, when you take Tums and Rolaids and an acid, you're, you're saying, no, 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 I want to have an alkaline gut. And you are setting yourself up for bad, bad stuff down the road. So you see the bad acids are a byproduct of low stomach acid HCL production, which in turn produces the acids of putrefaction. In one of the most highly referenced medical textbooks, which is Guyton's Physiology, this was the this is the book I used going through chiropractic college the whole time. Um, Guidance Physiology, 7th edition, page 790. We read, quote, Pepsin is the important peptic enzyme of the stomach and is most active at a range of 2 to 3. Pepsin is what digests protein, essentially. Um, it's, it's, it's most active, the enzyme Pepsin, at a pH of 2 to 3, which is extremely acidic and is completely inactive at a pH above 5. Now, an antacid can easily raise the stomach pH to 6 or higher. So you're just massively messing up your digestive system. Now, remember what I said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, this is like the foundation of where digestion is initially happening. If you mess up your food at the first, basically, I guess you call it the second stage of digestion, it is going to have a cascading bad effect as it passes into the duodenum, into the small intestine, and then absorbed into the bloodstream. You're going to have this putrefaction. You're going to have all of this messed up pH. You're going to have minerals not being absorbed. You're going to have protein putrefying in the gut. You're going to have parasite infestation. And you create this really, really bad foundation for health because that's where the health really begins, is there in that area of, of the stomach, and then also the, the liver and the gallbladder. You know, and then when you have bile production, a lot of this is interrelated. So, um, consequently, consequently, for this enzyme pepsin to cause any digestion of protein, the stomach juices must be acidic. Guyton also warns of pernicious anemia from a stomach chronically low in HCL. Why? Because you can't absorb iron. As a result of this information, prior or current antacid use is the biggest tip-off to also a potential parasite infestation for the following reasons. I'll just restate this. I didn't realize I got into this in this thing. As I stated, normally our, our stomach is designed to run at a pH of 2 to 3, which is very acidic. When taking an antacid, we radically alter the pH of our stomach upward to the alkaline side. In this pH range, it is impossible to properly digest protein. While all parasites are protein, have protein-based shells or exoskeletons, what this means is if you artificially raise the stomach pH by antacid use, you won't be able to kill the parasites that normally occur in many of the foods we eat. You see, parasites are everywhere in the food supply. All forms of vegetables and fruits, if raw, can be potentially loaded with parasites, just to mention a few. But don't panic, because if your HCL production is working properly, you will have a stomach acid of 2 to 3 and you, when you ingest parasites in this environment, the parasites take an acid bath and are then destroyed. But if you create an alkaline stomach by taking in acids, watch out because you have just eliminated the body's first and main line of defense against parasites. Once the parasites reach the duodenum, they are home free as the duodenum is alkaline. And you see this is the way God designed it uh, to be so parasites would be taken care of before they entered the du duodenum. After leaving the duodenum, they enter the intestinal tract, which is neither strongly al al alkaline or acid. This is great for parasites because now they can just set up shop and do what they do best. Live off you and multiply. 
So if you take in assets, you just have provided them a free ride in a nice, cozy, warm home. So what's next? Well, once the parasites set up shop in the intestinal tract, the pancreas starts to perceive the parasites as a foreign protein. So the pancreas will then start working overtime to produce various enzymes in an attempt to break down this perceived, perceived foreign protein in the intestinal tract, which is nothing more than the parasites. Well, as I said before, this was not the way God intended this process to work. The pancreas was not designed to do this job, as parasites should be literally destroyed by the HCL in the stomach. So as a result, the pancreas will work night and day to try to break down the parasites in the intestinal tract. But this seldom works, as, as it, and as a result, over time, the pancreas becomes overworked. It's like whipping a tired horse. Now, the pancreas is the only organ in the body that is considered both an exocrine gland and an endocrine gland. An exocrine gland is a gland with a duct, and an endocrine gland is a ductless gland. Okay? It's the only organ in the body that's both. The part of the pancreas that secretes alkaline digestive enzymes into the duodenum is the exocrine portion because that side of the pancreas has a duct, while the other side of the pancreas is considered the endocrine side and produces the hormones insulin and glucagon. Well, if the exocrine side of the pancreas is overworked and exhausted um, because it's trying to kill the parasites, it's only a matter of time before that starts to negatively affect the endocrine side, because it's all connected, which is responsible for blood sugar regulation through insulin and glucagon. This is how parasite infestation, blood sugar problems, and diabetes can be intimately connected. Now, I've got a whole other newsletter that I'm not... I don't... Maybe I should post it in here. I've got a whole other newsletter that gets into blood sugar issues and parasites. Um, I'll go ahead and post it in here. And in that way you can read that if, if you so choose because that's something else that relates to this. Now also, if you're a woman, women tend to start, struggle with stomach, higher stomach acid production more than men. Okay, And if you're a woman with type A blood, you're in the most high risk area. For somebody that is going to struggle with a alkaline gut, and then also that's going to set you up for parasite infestation. It's also you're, you're going to have a hard time digesting protein. A lot of women with type A blood, or even men with type A blood, will gravitate. These are people that tend to more uh, might become like vegetarians and stuff because they just don't feel like they can digest the um, protein, like meat, red meat, stuff like that. They get away from it. it doesn't mean their body doesn't need it. It's just that. They're, they're set up for, they're, they're going to have a hard time. Everybody's got their weak and strong points in their body. And for some reason, type A blood sets you up for low stomach acid, and particularly in women. Uh, the best product I know of to increase stomach acid production naturally, you can do organic apple cider vinegar, but you're not really getting the enzymatic component of digestion. There. You're getting more the pH component. You're, you're going to lower your stomach acid, pH, which is good, but you're not really getting any, any more enzymatic production. The best product I know of is Zypan by Standard Process. It's I take, of course, I have type B positive blood, so I don't have a, a lot of issues. But people with type O blood, now they're the ones that typically typically can like digest anything. You know, they can eat whatever they want, and they they typically have hearty HCL production. Now, granted, there's exceptions to every rule, but 
Um, type A is is the highest risk, and uh, they were the one. They'd be the ones that would probably benefit from a product like Zypan. I take it just because it takes a burden off your digestive system, and um, you also assimilate things a lot better if you're taking nutrients or whatever you're eating. Um, you tend to tend to do it. And now it's it's an acid based digestive enzyme. It doesn't. It's in a tablet form. It's not a good tasting tablet. Okay, um, my daughter likes them, but I they're not the greatest in your mouth. It, 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 put it this way: you wouldn't want to use it as like a breath mint. You know, like just to sit there and let it let it melt in your mouth, <laughs> it'd be pretty bad. But it's probably the best acid-based digestive enzyme that I'm aware of. Now, there's a lot of food-based, plant-based, enzymatic products on the market that have like pepsin and things like this. the The thing I like about Zypan is it actually alters the pH of the stomach to a lower level where it should be, and it gives you the enzymes to digest things. The food-based enzymes, the plant enzymes that you get, don't do that. They only give you the enzymatic component. But if you already have, if you're tending toward an alkaline gut, an alkaline stomach, they're going to do nothing to alter that. So I like the Zypan because it's more of a dual function for the stomach. Anyway, that's that's my two cents on that. Um, uh, yeah, I'll probably go ahead and, and post that other thing. Because I get into, then with the parasites, that's a whole other thing, animal to deal with, and I'll I'll go ahead and put the majority of my newsletter for that in this PDF, which will get into a parasite questionnaire, and I think also a blood sugar questionnaire that you can go through and look at, and, and it might make a lot of sense to a rather complicated subject. This is not like a really cut and dry subject; it's one that's rather complex. As you can see, what we're talking about. Because one thing leads to another, to another, to another, and it has this big cascading effect in the body. So, um, now, so now, I'm going back to the uh, newsletter. So now that we know the cause, let's look at the solutions. I say solutions because there are different products I use for different symptom patterns. If you've been diagnosed with acid reflux, heartburn, or indigestion, take this test. The next time you eat a potentially offending food, Try taking one to two teaspoons of organic apple cider vinegar or one to two Zypan that I listed uh, with a meal. Uh, you, can put vi- you can put the vinegar in a small amount of water or juice if you like. If your symptoms get better by taking apple cider vinegar, let's say you know you're going to be eating something and that something is that food particularly sets you off. Okay? And you, you have a history of this food setting you off. Well, if you take the apple cider vinegar and the Zypan, um, if your symptoms get better by doing this, that tells you that you are definitely HCL deficient. As the vinegar is acid by nature. And the Zypan is too. If this worked well for you, the apple cider vinegar could be taken with all meals that contain protein. But again, you're not getting... Any enzyme, any extra enzymes really to digest protein, but you are getting the pH effect of lowering the pH, which, which is helpful. Now, that by itself could be all you need. If the apple cider vinegar helps but does not fully correct the problem, a product called pituitrophin PMG by Stainer Process might need to be added in. This product is incredible for virtually all stomach conditions, but especially acid reflux. Reason being is the pituitary... Um, this product works because in our bodies there are two direct links from the pituitary gland into the digestive system. Uh, without a properly functioning pituitary gland, our digestive system can falter. If the apple cider vinegar is not to your liking, you could take Zypan by standard process, which again, you're getting 
the pH lowering, and you're getting the enzymes. That's the one I really like. So Zypan acts not only as a digestive aid, but it helps to break down fats and carbohydrates as well. So you're also getting that. Zypan helps to maintain a proper 2 to 3 pH in the stomach. The biggest clue of needing Zypan, and this is a little, can get a little personal here, but the biggest clue to needing a product like Zypan or that your stomach acid is low is smell, foul smelling intestinal gas. A fun subject everyone loves to talk about. Gas forming microorganisms can only exist in an alkaline gastrointestinal tract. Um, if protein is not being digested properly, it will putrefy in the gut. The causes of this causes foul smelling gas. Whereas someone who is not breaking down carbohydrates or fats might have a large amount of gas that does not have a lot of smell to it. But the foul smelling, you know you're not breaking down protein. So there's there's a kind of a dead giveaway for you there. Um, now, occasionally or whatever is one thing, but if you have a lot of this all the time, it's a dead giveaway that, you know, you're, you're, um, you're not breaking down proteins. Now, if the apple cider vinegar made the acid reflux, heartburn, or indigestion worse, then most likely your stomach lining is so thin that it cannot even handle the good acids. In this case, I would recommend the following products. The pituitrophin PMG, which I mentioned previously, okra pepsin, by standard process, this product helps to rebuild the lining of the stomach and is very good for indigestion-like symptoms. And Multizyme, by standard process. Now, this is the non-hydrochloric acid digestive enzyme. If you can't handle Zypan, if you can't handle um, uh, apple cider vinegar, then standard process makes this product because it's the non-acid version. It's not going to do a whole lot for your pH, but you'll, you'll be able to tolerate it until you can get to the point where you can handle good acids. When will that be? Well, when your stomach lining's rebuilt. And that's from the okra pepsin. Or you could do okra, um, which a lot of people don't want to do because it's slimy and mucolaginous. And I would say you'd really want to do like the, um, the okra that hasn't been, where you could really get that slimy component because that's what really helps to build that lining. Um, I, I'm not, I don't think fried okra would do that. And, you know, if you're frying anything, it's not the greatest anyway. So, all these nutritional products would be taken until your respective condition was under control. And at that point, you could slowly wean off the products uh, that would be implemented. Now, that would be more like you could wean off okra pepsin, you could wean off multizyme, and possibly pituitrophin. But you might always find that you need a product like Zypan or apple cider vinegar. Particularly if you run, if you have a tendency to run with low stomach acid. Um, and some people do. And as we age, our hydrochloric acid production starts to... So, a woman that's like, let's say, into her late 30s, into her 40s with type A blood, man, they're going to be at the highest risk of not having enough stomach acid. And these are the types of, of people that tend to gravitate toward, like, being a vegetarian and not, and, and, um, not eating protein. But you, protein's incredibly important for a myriad of things that go on in the body. And if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, it's incredibly hard to get the, the right kind of protein from that type of diet. Now, a lot of people say, well, I do it because George Malcolmus says that, that vegetarianism is biblical and it's, it's the only right way to eat. Well, that's called the hallelujah diet, and I've done a whole study on that. 
and you can key in George or Malcolmus or Hallelujah Diet or Vegetarian in the keyword search box at ContendingForTruth.com, and I biblically debunk that theory, and it's easy to debunk. Okay, the vegetarianism is biblical because it's not. And there's reasons, and there's Bible verses I get into, and I relate it all to the Bible, try to stay away from my opinion, but you can um, veil yourself to that. Now, if you had an active bleeding ulcer, you would need the above-mentioned three products, pituitrophin, the um, multizyme, and the ochrapepsin, ideally, ideally. But you would also want to add in, and again, this isn't long-term stuff here, mostly. This is like till you get your stomach healed. Then you would add in a product called chlorophyll complex by standard process. This product is the only true oil-based chlorophyll on the market and is very healing to the stomach lining and digestive system. The water-based garbage you get at a health food store will not work. That stuff passes right out of you. True oil-based chlorophyll is the only stuff that I know of that will, and it's very, very, it will stop bleeding like you wouldn't believe. I mean, any kind of intestinal bleeding. Stomach, ulcer, or intestinal, whatever. It typically will. Not granted, if it was like some type of diverticulitis that went, or tumor, or whatever, that was, you know, there's a point of no return there, um, or, 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 or an extenuating circumstance where these aren't going to work. But, um, I've, I had a, uh, a, uh, really good Christian sister um, named Barbara back in Florida and she called me one night and she said I'm getting massive amounts of bleeding um, in my stool and I ran her over a bottle of this chlorophyll and I said load up on this literally by the next morning all the bleeding had stopped the chlorophyll is unbelievable it's also um a really, it's almost like a multivitamin. It's, I hate to say it, but it is the most expensive product Standard Process makes because it's incredibly hard to make this stuff. Evidently, it's so messy that the day that they make this chlorophyll is usually the day that a lot of people in Standard Process don't show up for work. They don't want to deal with it. It's so hard to make because of its because it's oil-based. But um, it, it's amazing. It's kind of like a multivitamin. It's like a really super green food. But it's an oil-based chlorophyll that has all the fat-soluble vitamins in it, which are A, D, E, and K. It's, it's high in vitamin K, and vitamin K is where we get, think of K for clotting, and even though clotting is spelled with a C. But um, it's very, very good as acting as a natural coagulant for the blood. Okay, so um, very, very good for that. It's a, it's a true form of, of, of natural form of vitamin K and all the other fat-soluble vitamins. So it's very, very good for your skin, um, all the things that fat-soluble vitamins are good for. And if you couldn't handle chlorophyll because it's fat-soluble, or if you can't handle things like fish oils, it means your gallbladder is not working. Okay, And in that case, you would want to do the choline, and you would want to do a gallbladder flush or liver cleanse, because just because you can't digest something that's fat-based doesn't mean you don't need it. You have to have fat-based minerals, uh, fat, fat-based uh, vitamins, fat soluble, I should say, A, D, E, and K. You got to have them to live. So just because you can't digest something doesn't mean you don't need them. And in that case, you're going to look at the gallbladder and the liver, and you can't digest fats. And that's like choline, possibly the liver cleanse I've mentioned earlier, or choline in the liveplex, um, or AF beta food. I've mentioned that before as well. These are these are things that you can take for to correct those problems. 
So, also according to Robert Reeling, a municipal and industrial water treatment industry engineer, acid reflux, heartburn, and GERD are all greatly aggravated by exposure to chlorinated water. Chlorinated water. The water with the chlorine already in it, like tap water. It's death. That stuff is... Chlorine plaques your arteries up, causes cancer, um... Now it sets you up for this other thing too. It's it's horrific stuff. I mean, if you ever put chlorine in a pool, you, you realize you have to be incredibly uh, careful because you pop a container full of chlorine tablets or whatever, and you're too near that, you you could die. One big breath of that stuff into the lungs could just about kill you. So it's it's a poisonous gas, and so. Remember that virtually all beverages you purchase, either off the shelf or at a restaurant, use chlorinated water. So your exposure may be higher than you think. To remove the chlorine, it is imperative that you have a water filtration system with at least an activated charcoal filter. But that's not going to get out the the fluoride. Um, They've got these new pro-pure water filters out there that have these special uh, fluoride filters that say that they not only remove sodium fluoride, but they remove the f- sodium fluorosilicate, which is the other secondary fluoride they're now using to try to kill us quicker. So they're using most of the things that say they, they remove fluoride. Number one, don't. It's incredibly hard to get out of water. Um, uh, reverse osmosis really doesn't remove it. It will remove a lot of stuff, but it won't really get to fluoride, maybe minimal. They're claiming that with these new filters on these new ProPure systems that it will actually remove both sodium fluoride and the fluoride um, sodium uh, sodium silicate or whatever, the one I just mentioned. Um, so that's an option as well. Uh, also, if you had an Echo Blue that actually literally makes it out of thin air, you're not going to have to worry about any of this stuff there uh, other than just keeping the unit clean. So that's what I've used for quite a few years. So... Um, it is also advisable to install a KDF shower filter to eliminate chlorine exposure in the shower. This is very important because if you don't do this, you're literally getting gassed by the chlorine because you, you, heat, you superheat the water and then it comes out in all those jets. And if you're not filtering the water, you're inhaling all that chlorine and I would imagine fluoride and whatever other garbage they're putting in the water. And you're, it's like being in a gas chamber. So you get a KDF shower filter to eliminate the chlorine exposure in the shower, which can be significant. KDF can, can remove chlorine at, at high temperatures, whereas activated charcoal cannot. So if you're using a shower filter that's activated charcoal, you're not getting rid of the chlorine because it's not designed to remove it at high temperatures unless you take like cold showers all the time, which isn't too fun. So again, what our goal should be first is to, is to correct the underlying condition that caused the problem in the first place. So... That's kind of my newsletter on that. These are, you know, some options for you. And um, I'll go ahead and post my Parasite newsletter in there as well. So you have that as well. So um, this is the last question here. And this is from a listener. And it says, could you, um, a person asked, another listener said, could you ask Dr. Johnson if there's any help regarding vitiligo? I've had this question come up over the years, and um, my response is at my website, dr-johnson.com, 
which is the silver, mild silver protein site, there is a protocol for vitiligo. They listed under the same classification as Ver- Veruca plantaris, which is basically plantar warts. Now, I know it's not the same as a plantar wart, but they're listing the same protocol for it for one reason or another. There's got to be a reason because these protocols were put up there by, a lot of them were by, put up by MDs. And it's the 5,000 part per million mild silver protein by mouth, and then you apply the what they call the AG cream topically twice a day. AG is the periodic table name for silver. To make AG cream, now you can use this on any topical thing, particularly if there's infection involved, candida, yeast, bacteria, um, areas of the body that you're trying to heal on the skin. You can make the AG cream. They don't sell it. You make it yourself. And what you do is you get some aloe vera gel and you add drops of the 5,000 part per million silver to the gel uh, to the point just before it starts to liquefy. So that's the um, that's how you make it. Now you could make it with 1,100 or 2,000 as well. Uh, the 5,000 would be stronger, but that's how you can actually make this topical cream of the silver. Now you can also apply the silver topically, just by itself. You know, it just tends to stain the skin. You know, for a time, and um, uh, you know, just bear that in mind. Standard process also has a protocol for vitiligo. And the protocol is 10 Zymex per day and 10 Thymex. Now, I have never had a case of this. I'm just telling you the protocol, what I've got in my research. Never had a person come to me for vitiligo other than I've had questions asked of me about it. And the Zymex is is one of the main products for yeast or candida. And the Thymex is one of the ones that um, uh, has a lot to do with the immune system. So... It seems as though the two protocols I have for vitiligo are primarily targeting the immune system. And what vitiligo is, is it's like a depigmentation of the um, uh, things like the fingers and around the mouth. And, and, and it's typically African-American races get it, and, and it's a depigmentation of those areas. And um, it can be really cosmetically noticeable. For um, I think this is what Michael Jackson said, that he had vitiligo. You know, how he got his skin bleached? Well, yeah, but you have it in patches. It's not like all over your body. It's not like universal where you have vitiligo and it turns you like this white color or whatever. So that was a bunch of garbage. It was just more of his plastic surgery stuff he was doing. Um, Anyway, um, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. So we're, yeah, the PDF is probably going to end up being in the 30-page range. I'm going to go ahead... And end here, I will put this other parasite newsletter into the into the PDF so you have that. And then um, you can have it all kind of in one place to reference. And these are things you can also print out. The P- PDFs are also printable online. So I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time you've given us. I praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. I pray you bless my listeners, Lord. Bless the body of Christ. I pray that you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults that they will not have dominion over us and um, that you just um, bless wherever your truth or wherever your word is being preached worldwide, that you'd use the body of Christ mightily for your glory and that through them you would lead many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.